Metron, your two hands, Matt. Okay, but ready? ready? I have one more sheet here if anybody yes. needs one. My glasses just fell apart a minute ago. Fortunately, I, I print these notes in fairly large script. Are those basically reading glasses? They're, they're, I, I need the one I've got. Uh, they're uh, they're bifocals, but I mainly need them for reading. Yes, but uh, but I can read. I can read this. I'm I'm okay, Phil. I'm okay. Thank you for the article. Offer that. May I try? May I? There are there are no, there are no, no screws there. There are no screws. There's no screws. I guess that means you screw. You can't you can't put it in. It just oh, no. Does anybody else need one? Let's go ahead and read the letter to the Church of Theatira, okay? And to the angel of the Church of Theatira write, These things says the Son of God, for his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. And you've got to stop pinching that child. say that every time somebody's baby's cried, I said, stop pinching that baby. <laughs> Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her 
into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say and to the rest of Theatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come, and he also overcomes, pardon me, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as also I have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has ears, who has an ear, rather, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right. Let's start on the start with some commentary. Yes, Polycarp. Wasn't there like Psalm two or three in there? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we are. I read your zeals and drink a fairy. I thought you'll rule them with a rod of iron. Yes, Psalm two actually. Yes, Psalm two. If you need any questions on the Psalms, uh, you can consult my book, Christ in the Psalms. If it doesn't answer it for you, Polycarp will know. <laughs> I've got this on. Uh, I've got this on Geneva fourteen. So I should be able to do okay. The sermons are on Geneva 20. That's why you, you see these great big thick sermons that come out with it. Theatira is, the, is at the site of the modern Turkish city, Akhisar, which means, you ready for it? White Castle. <laughs> which brings us to point one. <laughs> This city, even in antiquity, was more modest than the previous three that we took. Now, as, as John addressed these seven letters, he followed a strict form of rotation, very much the way the deacon, as he incenses the church, goes around in a clock-like motion. Picture Ephesus on the coast, or near the coast, across from the island of Patmos. He goes to Ephesus, and he moves to Philadelphia, if I mean Smyrna, and so forth. He moves on around. He's now back to Theatira, which is somewhat behind the others. He's moving around this circle. Ephesus, which is closest to Patmos, as the starting point. John moves to his left to take in Smyrna and Pergamos. Then he moves away from that line, from Pergamos to Theatira, which is directly behind it. With Theatira, he will start another line going to his right to complete the half circle of the seven churches. Now, Theatira. In antiquity, this city was a textile center. Famous for its dyeing, much engaged in the indigo trade, 
from which you get the blue dye. I kept trying to find out if blue jeans were invented there, but I could find nothing on the subject, so I just invented it. Among the ancient ruins of this city, inscriptions have been found relating to the guild of dyers within the city. Indeed, Theatira was a city of guilds. More than any other contemporary city of the Roman province of Asia, inscriptions in the city testified guilds of dyers and related, and related industries. Leather work workers, for example, tanners, wool workers, linen workers, and then some of the other skills such as potters and bronze smiths, but mainly in textiles. Garment dealers from Theatira might be found anywhere in the Mediterranean basin. They had their agents out in major cities. In fact, Paul and Silas met such a one in the city of Philippi. And you have that text, don't, don't you, in front of you? From Acts 16. Therefore, sailing from Tros, we set a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day we came to Neapolis, new, new city. Expect children to be children, by the way. I don't. <laughs> so the next day they came to Neapolis. Notice that from Turos to Neapolis is two days going across from Asia Minor from they went up to the up to Samothrace, then over to Neapolis, which means new city. Notice it takes two days. Later on, in chapter 20, when they go the other direction. Takes more than a week, so they they arrive there late, which means they have to rush down to Jerusalem. Anybody got any ideas why they might have taken two days to go this way and seven to go that way? Prevailing winds. Prevailing winds, but mainly current. Mainly current. The water is coming down that way out of the Dardanelles. Uh, back when I taught seminary. One of my students, uh, who was a graduate of the Naval War College, remember Keith Adams, Lord rest his soul. Uh, Keith Adams did a paper on that, and he went to he went to the Naval Department and had the complete map out of all the currents. In the, <laughs> that's all documented because you, you expect that in Annapolis, wouldn't you? The training the it was, really, it was really quite fascinating. I've got this stuck in my file someplace uh, back home. That, that, uh, so he wrote a term paper about this, complete with illustrations from uh, Annapolis, and I was quite pleased, you know. Okay. Um, another of my students was a former Air Force uh, officer, pilot. He mapped out the Bay of No, no, he didn't. 
He did, he did his, his paper on David Sling. This paper was David Sling. He did an extraordinary paper on the history of slingshots, particularly <laughs> slingshots in that part of the world. And so forth. he identified what sort of slingshot David was. was wonder why. I wish was anticipating a cut in budget. I had another one write a paper on on the use of elephants uh, in warfare. We, that had to do with the Book of Maccabees, Second Maccabees, Eliezer. Uh, I used to get some. I used to get some very interesting term papers, particularly from the former military people in the uh, in, in the class. So where did we leave off? They got to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is the foremost city in that part of Macedonia, and a colony. It's a Roman colony. The citizens of Philippi were citizens of the Roman Empire. Who were those citizens of Philippi? Military. They, they were military. They were the families of the Battle of Philippi, where the, where the, uh, the forces of Octavian and Mark Anthony defeat the forces of Brutus and Cassius. Think of the last, the last act of Julius Caesar. And we were staying in that city for some days. That's in Philippi. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where there was a reputed place of prayer. I think the word is Kaletai Prosevki. I had to get it into English somehow or other. Notice that there's no synagogue. There's no synagogue. They didn't have 10 men. They didn't have 10 men. They may not have had any. Um, if you recall, when they eventually do arrest Paul, what's the, what, is the, what is the charge against him? They're teaching customs which we Romans, himis Romanis, we Romans cannot follow. We Romans. And they throw Paul in jail. Remember that overnight? And uh, he, he baptized the, fam the family of the jailer and so forth. The next morning, they come to take Paul out of jail. They're going to he says, oh, really? I am a Roman citizen, and I was beaten without a trial. <laughs> he can say that there at Philippi. So it's a colony. Let me find my place here. They come here on the Sabbath day, and they go to a place outside the city to the riverside where there was a reputed place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there? Women. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Theotira, a worshiper of God. In other words, she's not a Jew. She's one of the Phobimini ton theon, those who fear God. These are the Gentiles who attach themselves to synagogues. This woman is from Theatira, and she's, she's obviously a business lady, and she's over living in Philippi, in Macedonia. And when she and her household were baptized, got that picture there? Her household were baptized? She's a single woman. Got that picture. 
She's the head of the household. Her household, I suppose, would be her servants. Could be other people as well. Could be relatives. She begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now notice, they're staying at her house. What does that what does that in practice mean when they talk about a whole household coming over to the Lord? What does that in practice mean? It means there's a place where the gospel can be preached. There's a place where the faithful can assemble. There's a place where they can do the Lord's Supper. That's why these households are, are so important in the, in the New Testament. And whenever it says his entire household was baptized, that means it was a safe place to meet. Later on in Philippi, the jailer's whole household will be baptized. Father Pat, what about uh, the purple um, linen? Was it a really um, high, of high regard and very expensive? Or yep. what, what's the problem with purple that would be so... What do they make it from? Uh, muscle, mu- uh, uh, muscles. Muscles? Muscles. It's very expensive. You had to have a certain rank before you could wear purple, yes. which is exactly why you would have it at uh, at uh, Philippi. Okay. We had Roman citizens. Hence the expression "born to the purple." Uh, okay. Get, 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 get your get your thank question. You, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Good question. <coughs> I think I've commented on the Acts text as much as I want to. Now John praises the church for its works, love, service, faith, and patience. In spite of that praise, the congregation was tolerating in its midst. <coughs> the activities of a pseudo-charismatic woman whom John likened to the ancient queen Jezebel of Israel. She claims to be a prophetess, speaking for the Lord, but she's leading the people into sin. Now, Jezebel, that fine feminist, was so responsible for so many of the ills condemned by the prophet Elijah back in the ninth century. She led the people into sin. John expected the Christians of Theatira to be familiar with the biblical account of Jezebel. In order to prepare for this lecture, in fact, I sat down and listened to Frankie Ling sing Jezebel. You don't know who Frankie Lane is, okay. Does anybody here remember Frankie Lane? Yes. Find a screw? Let's see what he did here. Oh, yes. Well, thank you. I see what you've done. Be careful, but we'll work Yeah, it'll, it'll, get me to, it'll get me to the, to the, uh, the optician. Thank you, sir. Back when I, back when I worked for, for an ophthalmologist, I did that many times. I would, I would, uh, Get a, get a pin, click it off, and stick it in, or, or 
this is this is fine. Thank you so much. Really appreciate this. I know that was before. <laughs> Man of vast and hidden talents. <laughs> oh, just be careful. I will. I will be careful. MacGyvering something. I guess this explains why you get along so well with the president of Syria. No, that's not why. Although I did think of that, Phil. Uh, he's, he's an ophthalmologist. Yeah, I did think of that when I was talking to him. But I don't want to go on the president of Syria right now. John expected the Christians of Theatira to be familiar with the biblical account of Jezebel. And he, she was sure that they had all listened to Frankie Lane sing this song. Someday the bishop's going to hear about this. The daughter of the Phoenician king Ethbaal, According to Josephus, Jezebel was the great aunt of Dido, queen of Carthage. That's Josephus' version. In Holy Scripture, she incited her husband, King Ahab, to abandon the worship of the true God and encourage worship of false deities. Jezebel persecuted the prophets of the Lord fabricated false evidence of blasphemy against an innocent landowner who refused to sell his property to King Ahab and causing the landowner to be put to death. In other words, she was also a murderess. For these transgressions against the God and people of Israel, the Bible relates, Jezebel met with a gruesome death at the hands of who remembers? Jehu, Jehu, remember? Jehu drove a little bit like my son-in-law. <laughs> I remember the first time Dennis was driving me someplace, I said to myself, ah, it's the reincarnation of Jehu. <laughs> Jehu, Jehu drives furiously. Remember that Jehu drives furiously. Um, and Jehu comes riding in, and Jezebel knows he's coming. According to the Bible, she puts on, she puts on eye shade and lipstick and rouge and gets all dolled up. Jezebel, she yells down to Jezebel, do you come in peace? And two slaves appear right behind Jezebel, and Jehu says, throw her down. So she's thrown down from the whatever the balcony was, and devoured by the dogs. <laughs> the makeup never works. <laughs> I have never been able to figure out makeup. Because <laughs> I... I think all women are beautiful. I, 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 uh, and I, I don't see much difference when they put something on. They just, they don't, um, that's just me. I don't know, just me. Uh, but uh, anyway, where were we? Jezebel became associated with false prophets. Her dressing in finery and putting on makeup before her death led to the association of the use of cosmetics with loose women. I will, not, I will not go into that detail. You can read the Fathers of the Church on your own. <laughs> okay. 
because when they talk about when they talk about these things, Jezebel's invariably the one they were Don't forget about Jezebel, you know. Now later in this book, John will return to this image of the immoral woman, which becomes a personification of the city of Rome. In fact, the very name Roma is a feminine name. As we shall see in due course when we get there, it'll be a while though, this woman will be described very much as the Old Testament describes Jezebel. She will be drunk with the blood of prophets and of saints. You have those texts with you down there at the bottom of the page. This is a description of, of the city of Rome. This, this woman who's sitting on, on seven hills. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who were slain upon the earth. Now Jezebel was very much known as the, the murderess of the prophets. Elijah talked about that. Now the moral offenses of the woman at Theatira, which included advocacy of sexual sins and the eating of food sacrificed to demons, seems similar to that of the Nicolaitans. But in the present case, John took care to single out an individual rather than talk about a group. Against her, he prophesied a dire judgment. This woman seems to have been a sort of mistress of the occult, what he calls the depths of Satan. The depths of Satan, the occult. But John does not condemn solely that woman. He speaks very critically, in addition, of the church which tolerated her. I say it worthwhile saying that, since I think that's probably the number one virtue advocated these days, is toleration. Notice that everywhere it's dealt with in the, in the Bible, toleration is regarded as a vice. Just, my, so just think about that a little bit. In the instance studied here, the Church of Theatira was permitting a very forceful woman who claimed the authority of a prophetess to bring moral havoc into the congregation. I used to be a chaplain for a, a group of charismatic women in uh, in Oklahoma City, they, were, they picked three three local pastors to sort of be their chaplains. I was the only one that ever actually attended. The other two were, were appointed chaplains. They never attended. I went to all their meetings. Went to all their meetings. They wanted they wanted a pastor, a male pastor, present, because they were afraid of being misled by somebody who was all worked up and had a lot of a lot going for her. Put it that way, uh, and I really I, a couple of times I really did have happy yank the chain. Uh, when I left Oklahoma City, they gave me a plaque which I think is hanging someplace around. I don't know, uh, hanging someplace around, uh, because I, I saw so they had some they invited some women prophets from even some came in from out. Some of that stuff was pretty wild, and uh, I had to step in and say you know calm it down. This is, this is not of the Lord. This is coming from someplace else. This is not of the Lord. Um, uh, 
Whereas the members of the congregation were intimidated by her influence, or were simply reluctant to deal harshly with a woman, John, as we shall see, suffered from neither that intimidation nor from that reluctance. In the present text, he accomplished the moral equivalent of that robust defenestration suffered by the aging Phoenician princess of Samaria on the judgment day when Jehu came a-riding. Now the problem identified by John has been repeated from time to time, almost always throughout the history of the church, from time to time. I will bring to your attention a letter from Vermilion, the Bishop of Carthage, written to St. Cyprian, the Bishop, pardon me, Vermilion, the Bishop of Caesarea, the Bishop of Vermilion of Caesarea, to Cyprian, the Bishop of Carthage, in the year 256. I'm going to read the text to you, and then we'll tell you how I found out about it. I had read the letters of Cyprian years before, including this one, which is included, it, it's included in Cyprian's letter, even though it's written to Cyprian. It's letter, letter 74 in the works of, of Cyprian. Let me just read you the text. Promelian speaks of a certain woman who, in a state of ecstasy, announced herself as a prophetess and acted as if filled with the Holy Spirit. And she was so moved by the impetus of the principal demons that for a long time she made, she made anxious and deceived the brotherhood, accomplishing certain wonderful and portentous things and promised that she would cause the earth to be shaken. Vermilion goes on in some detail to describe the harm done by this person who claimed to be a prophetess. Remember, this is in the year 256, mid-third century. But that woman, who previously by wiles and deceitfulness of the demon was attempting many things for the deceiving of the faithful, among other things by which she had deceived many, also frequently dared this, to pretend that with inv invocation not being really contemned, she sanctified the bread and celebrated the Eucharist and offered sacrifice to the Lord, not without the sacrament of the accustomed utterance, and also to baptize many, making use of the, of the usual and lawful words of interrogation, that nothing might seem to be different from the ecclesiastical rule. Okay. Let me tell you how I found out about this text several years ago. Jim, you'll probably remember it, won't you? It was, uh, it was an article written by T.F. Torrance and was submitted to Touchstone. Oh, goodness, this would be about 1997 or so, something like that? Earlier. Earlier than that. Yeah, I guess it would be earlier. Oh, yes, quite a bit earlier than that. I had just become Orthodox, I think. Yes, it was earlier than that. You're right. Uh, it would be early, the early 90s, I suppose. Uh, T.F. Torrance was tried to prove that there were women priests in the early church. And he, he had a whole bunch of evidence. This is one of the texts <laughs> they cited, this particular text. He says, Cyprian knows about a woman priest in, in, in Caesarea. <laughs> okay. And it's referred to in a letter 
so I went, wait a minute, hold on. I've read the letters, Cyprian. So I went and, and, and investigated and uh, pulled it up right away. It was of a piece with all of the, uh, all of the tombstones they found of, of uh, presbyteri who had died. Okay. And of course, we know what a presbyter is. You have, you have a presbyter sitting right here, and there's another one sitting someplace else in here. Uh, where is Kim? Okay. Um, um, T.F. Torrance wrote this thing, and he, he uh, another text he cited was from St. Gregory of Nyssa. St. Gregory of Nyssa refers to, and, and, he, and he cites the text, he cites the text. St. Gregory of Nyssa refers to a female priest, he said, and he says this, okay, she shall take the bread, make the sign of the cross, and say the blessing over the bread. Okay. Likewise with the cup. I thought, wait a minute, hold on just a second. So I went and grabbed the, the, the set of the Greek fathers that this parish gave me long before I became their pastor. Uh, you know, it used to be in your used to be out, out at the uh, uh, banner. I pulled that text down and opened it up. The title of the chapter was Piri Trapezes on the refectory. He's describing an abbess saying grace for the nuns when the chaplain is not present. I thought that was a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> uh, he had a, he had a picture of uh, from uh, Saint Church of Saint Praxedes in Rome, with the inscription over this lady's head is Theodora Episcopa, okay. Theodora the Bishopess. Okay. He says obviously Rome had a female bishop. That would be a female pope. Okay, so. I, I hang on a second. I went and I went, of course. I looked it all up. I checked this thing down in the, the immense Dictionnaire de Archéologie et Etologie. I text the article. Check down the article. This uh, this uh, Theodora was the mother of Pope Paschal II. Okay. And because it was the Pope's mother, they called her Bishopess. You know, she was uh, she was still alive at the time, which is why she has a square nimbus. Instead of a, instead of a halo, so I, I, I wrote. A, Jim Jim Kirshner was wondering what to do with this thing that, that was submitted, but we wouldn't do that now, would we? I don't think we would, would we? You think we might? <laughs> I said, print the thing, print it, print it. Okay, it was probably a great act of uncharitable, uncharity to print it, because what it did was make an old man, T. F. Torrance toward the end of his life looked rather foolish. And uh, I, I, had a lot, I had a lot of second thoughts about whether we should have done it. Uh, but he surely didn't write it, some of his, some of his undergraduate. Well, those arguments were being made and put out there. So yeah. Um, so I wrote a reputation, and then Torrance wrote back in touchstone, and he signed himself T.F. Torrance Presbyter, no, archpriest, proto-presbyter, proto-presbyter of the Orthodox Church. 
oh. I knew that he was the head of the Scottish Presbyterians, but how did he become a proto-presbyter of the Orthodox Church? Oh, this is, this is interesting. So I picked up the phone, I called Callistos Ware at Oxford. <laughs> I, said, I said, you know, Metropolitan Callistos. Um, he was just Bishop Ware in those days. I called him and I said, explain this to me. He said, well, you know. <laughs> um, Torrance is a very interesting sort of fellow, you know. <laughs> What had happened was the Patriarch of Alexandria, the Greek Patriarch of Alexandria, was visiting Scotland and he was hosted by T.F. Torrance. And it was a custom, it's still a custom among the Orthodox, sometimes to give the pectoral crosses of archpriests and proto-presbyters to Anglican clergymen. I'm hoping we stop that by now. You, you, you seen that, Joseph? Uh, they apparently did that in England a lot. Uh, uh, they would give these, and so the, the uh, so the, and so the vicar, the local vicar, would sort of think he was a priest of the Orthodox Church. He said uh, the the patriarch had given the pectoral cross to T. F. Torrance, who was the head of the Presbyterian Church thus wiping out a thousand years of schism. <laughs> and so when we printed Torrance's letter, we left off that part. And we didn't. Uh, I, I have felt guilty about that ever since, I have to tell you. Uh, the one thing my daddy taught me when I was a little boy is don't beat up on old men. Yeah. And now that I am an old man, I really cherish that. Thing. <laughs> 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 Father Pat, wasn't um, the Celtic, wasn't the priest of the Celts a woman? No. No? No. You may be thinking about the famous synod of Whitby, okay. which was resided over by an abbess. Okay. Uh, that may be what you're thinking about. Uh, there's no doubt that abbesses in the early church were extremely important. Sometimes they were better educated than the clergy. In fact, even now, I think, in some cases, they're better educated, at least than some of the clergy. Uh, the uh, abbesses even now tend to have a great deal of moral authority. And uh, I myself, if I'm able to, would always defer to the wishes of an abbess. Uh, I just would. Um, first of all, she's a monastic and, and, and she's in charge of a congregation and so forth. One day I was, I was, I was standing in the sacristy putting on the vestments for pre-sanctified liturgy on Monday in Holy Week. And the abbess comes in to the sacristy. She hands me this book. She says, do it in Spanish. I said, yes, Reverend Mother. I went out and started the pre-sanctified liturgy in Spanish. I got about halfway through the great litany, 
and realized, I don't know Spanish. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I didn't know Spanish in the sense that I, I don't speak Spanish. Uh, anybody can read Spanish. That, it doesn't even require you to know study at all to read Spanish. Um, in fact, the first time I finished a book in Spanish, it was a, it was a study of uh, Aristotelianism in the 13th century Spain. And I read this whole book in Spanish. And then after it was over, after I finished, I discovered that the dictionary I was using was Italian. Uh, but I, when I started chanting the Spanish, I thought, well, just do it like it's Italian. So the accent always fell in the right place, and, and, and it, it, worked, it worked out fine. Did you have a hand up here? There? Oh, I'm sorry. No. Oh, no. Yes, sir? No, I was, was you were talking about this. It reminds me of the story I was told by um, Father Hillary about Archbishop John of Blessed Memory. This Father Hillary here in the city? Yeah. When he first came to this country, he was going through cathedral storage and what have and comes across this box, and in the end were bishop's vessels, but they're just torn up. And there's a crown that was crushed. And so he's like, what's this? And they go, John Bishop's like, well, let's see if you can fix it. Maybe you can bury me in there or something like this. But what happened was, when he first came to this country, he was invited to go with establish the parishes in the Midwest. So he's invited to come to this parish. And he comes in, vested, or not, you know, vested in the whole ceremony, what have you. And then somebody says, we're going to bring the prophetess in. And he said, what? And as he said that, they had some woman come uh, escorted in. What happened was that he, as soon as he saw that, he ripped all the vestments off, crushed the crown, and walked out of the church and never came back again. Now that's but a, a week later. Don't you got, think that's a little overreaction? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. A week later, what? What's that? A week later, what? A week later, what further we need they, they, they sent all the vestments back in a box. That's what the uh, story found. Uh, the, the, the literature, the Christian literature of the second century gives quite a number of, of instances of, of this sort. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, still, some people still haven't learned. Yeah, if, thank God the Orthodox Church has been spared this. I have to say, we've been spared this. Uh, uh, I could give you instances of things I remember from the Episcopal Church, but you would not be edified. <laughs> Glory to the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now and ever, the God who is, who was, and is to come at the end of time. Amen. That beard looks magnificent. I don't deal. I need to say one thing about today's scripture reading. When our Lord says, He's not 